I think the biggest issue is that we've been negotiating for our contract for 18 months, which is an extremely long time. You could have like two babies in that time. I don't really know how babies are made, but I assume that's how that works. With us, you know, you get served really dry, bad chicken and you know, <laughs> that, and you eat it with your hands and that's just, you know, part of the process, I guess. So I, I built, you create this person to get through those days, yeah, right? When you're yeah. dealing with, you're dealing with yellers, screamers and all the above, right? Like not to be a little shady, but like that's the reality of it for me. Being in the union is a community. Under the leadership of Governor DeSantis, our all-star board will demonstrate that the public universities, which have been corrupted by woke nihilism, can be recaptured, restructured, and reformed. You're listening to the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. I'm Chris Garlock. On today's show, a 24-hour strike at the Washington Post. Medieval Times workers stand up for their animals. Then, talking about mental health and addiction in the trades. La Victoria de los Trabajadores in the entertainment industry and political interference in Florida higher ed. This week's featured shows are Workweek Radio, which airs Thursday afternoons from 12 to 2 PST on San Francisco KPOO.com 89.5 FM. Working Voices, which airs weekly on KPFK 90.7, also in San Francisco. Bridging the Iron, a podcast from Portland, Oregon's Ironworkers Local 29. El Cafecito del Dia, the podcast from LACLA, the Labor Council for Latin American Advancement. And AAUP Presents, a podcast produced by the American Association of University Professors on issues related to academic freedom, shared governance, and higher education. They're all part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, laborradionetwork.org. Here's the show. This is Work Week with Steve Zeltzer. First, we look at the struggle of journalists from the Washington Post who are based in San Francisco. They were part of a nationwide strike of 700 journalists and newspaper media workers on December 7, 2023. They met at the Pacific Media Workers Guild offices and watched a live stream of the rally in Washington, D.C. They then rallied at a park next to the San Francisco Chronicle. One, two, three, My name is Garrett DeVink. I'm a tech reporter for the Washington Post, and I'm a member of the Washington Post Guild. And you're out here today in San Francisco. The Washington Post here it covers the Bay Area, Northern California Tech. Uh, is this your first strike? This is my first strike, and I think it's the first strike for a lot of Washington Post employees and guild members. Uh, it's not something that we wanted to do, but it's something that we realized that we have to do. So we're doing a one-day strike. We've been in contract negotiations with our managers for 18 months now, and you know we do not believe that they're bargaining in good faith, and so we're doing an unfair labor practices strike one day to protest that, and we're hoping that they come back to the bargaining table in good faith and we can get this contract done. And what are the issues that you and other journalists face at the Guild? There's all sorts of issues. We're looking for increased safety. We have journalists who are in Ukraine. We have journalists who are covering uh, protesting here in the United States and other countries. A lot of hostile environments that our journalists go into. 
uh, also journalists who don't necessarily go to those physical environments but are also dealing with very intense subject matter, dealing with uh, reporting on school shootings. We want to improve mental health care. We want to improve benefits. And the big thing that we're really fighting for is improved pay floors. We work out of Washington, D.C., San Francisco, New York City. These are some of the most expensive cities in the world. And all of our journalists are incredible people. They could leave journalism to go get other jobs, but they want to stay in journalism. They want to stay with the Washington Post because we believe in the public mission of the Washington Post. And in order to do that, we need to be paid a living wage so that we can do that work and continue to raise families, send our kids to college, and have the kind of lives that, that we want to have while doing journalism. And there recently been layoffs, which I know your local has protested. What, what is going on with these cutbacks? Yeah, the Washington Post has offered a buyout to several hundred of our employees. And the Washington Post recently said that if they don't hit the required number of people taking the buyout, that, that there will be layoffs. And so we believe this is the wrong time to you know cut our employees. People have put their lives into, um, into the Washington Post and, and to be sort of have our managers come back and say, well, you know, not all of you should be here anymore is, is a really difficult thing for all of us to hear, even those who are not necessarily targeted by this. And so, you know, we believe being owned by Jeff Bezos, one of the most wealthy men in the world, who, you know, has stated that he is committed to journalism, that he's committed to journalism's role in American public life, that, you know, he should put his money where his mouth is and support us rather than require these really difficult buyouts. My name is Heather Kelly. I am a technology reporter here in San Francisco for the Washington Post. And have you ever been in a union before? No, this is my first union. I used to work at CNN. They were not very pro-union, so I'm very excited to finally be able to join one. In fact, at CNN, I'm a member of the CWA, I was at a CWA convention where they had a long struggle because they fired 300 workers at CNN uh, yeah. who wanted to form a union, although it's supposed to be a legal right to form a union, but apparently not for CNN. No, and I mean, we had some, some conversations about it and never went anywhere. I think there was a real cultural fear about starting a union there and, and here. It's great. Everybody is, is really involved. And I love it. And what are the issues that, that the union is addressing? I know there, there was a stream conference today. Uh, first time probably that's happened. I mean, using technology to get your stories out is, uh, what are the issues? Uh, so I think the biggest issue is that we've been negotiating for our contract for 18 months, which is an extremely long time. You could have like two babies in that time. I don't really know how babies are made, but I assume that's how that works. Um, and th what they're offering is just, it's far lower than inflation. I believe the raise would be $21 a week, which here in San Francisco is approximately one chicken sandwich. So uh, it's a little bit insulting. The prices here are unbelievable. Yeah. The labor news you are hearing at Work Week can only take place by continuing to support KPOO. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us. We got Gretchen Hoyt. Uh, she's the business outreach and development coordinator for NAMI Southwest Washington. Yeah. Um, so can you kind of just tell us what NAMI is? Yeah, yeah. So we are the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Okay. Um, it's a grassroots nationwide organization. There are yeah. 600 affiliates, and I am the business outreach and development okay. person for the Southwest Washington. Awesome. So that's Clark County, Cowlitz County, Skamania, and Wakayaka. Okay. So... Question on that, uh, Gretchen, uh, how did you find yourself uh, doing this work? Okay, so about, well, three or four years ago now, my father passed away, and afterwards, my stepmother 
started showing signs of psychosis, um, enough that the police got involved and we didn't know what to do. And long story short, we don't know where she is, but it got me really worked up about like, who do I call? Who do yeah. I, call? I don't want to call the police on her. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like she's not a criminal, Yeah, but she's unsafe. Yes. So what do we do? Um, and so I just started looking for places I could help. And then okay. I found NAMI just as a volunteer gig. Really? Yeah. So I was volunteering since April, 2021. And then I got brought on with this new position just in October. Awesome. So um, just especially being in construction, we lose 45 out of 100,000 people every year to suicide, right? In construction. And then when you get really down into the minutiae of that, um, because the CDC actually did a a study on on the trades and the iron workers are leading that. We lose lose 79 iron workers out of 100,000. So that just kind of tells you where we're at and and we have a lot of work to go, right? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that what are the statistics? What um, Someone that's in construction is is four times more likely to die by suicide and five times more likely to die on the job by suicide. It's it's astronomical yeah. number. It's just absolutely devastating. And to even to put it in a more perspective, we're losing you. You're more likely to die of suicide than to die of an on-the-job accident. Which, as an iron worker, we deal with it all day long, every right. day, right? right? So just so so like to put that in perspective, if we're losing seventy-nine out of a hundred thousand, uh, that's pretty crazy. When it's you know our job is dangerous and could take you out immediately, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's all construction. Uh, trades, you know what I mean? They do. We do dangerous stuff all day long, and so that stress is is very high, right? Well, and that's a big part of it too, is that because it's like being a athlete. Yeah. If you get an injury, it can be a career ender for you. Yes. So people end up also suffering with pain or using opioids so they can continue working. And we know what opioids do, man. We know yeah. we know that they are a slippery slope. It's not like someone goes out and. Decides yeah. to be an addict. That's no. not how it happens. No, not at all. And, and and being one of those people that have done that, right? Because yeah. you know injuries. You you know doing iron work and in construction general, it puts a toll on your body. Right. So there's some days where you just to get out of bed is a, is a chore, right? right? And then to go to work and actually perform the task. You know, I've had to use substances to help me get through that day Absolutely. just for the pain, right? And so. Uh, you know, having addictive behavior and stuff like that, you know, exactly what you said, yeah. it can lead you down that path really quick, really right? Quickly. And then there, with all of that, with all anything with like addiction, because you get shame and stigma, and that can lead to mental health issues if you haven't already had them, yeah. you know? So it's just, it's like a perfect storm. And there's something to, it's like, I don't want to be stereotypical, but with labor jobs, there's a little bit of machismo yeah. where it's oh, yeah. like, you know, where, so you don't, you're, seems like people are as comfortable talking about like, Hey, yeah, I'm struggling, man. Yes. So, and that's, that's a huge part. Uh, Gretchen is that, is that it's the tough guy or the tough person mentality. Right. So you have to put on this. Um, and, and, and let me talk about myself. You know, when I, when I got in almost 20 years ago, that's, you had to, right. Like, yeah. so I, I built, you create this person to get through those days, yeah, right. When you're yeah. dealing with, you're dealing with yellers, screamers and all the above. Right. So that's what I had to do to succeed in my trade, right? And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that actually do that, right? Uh, but with with that being said, like, how do you, like you said, stigma, like, that's the biggest part I see, right? Still, 2023, almost 2024, and we're still dealing with that. Yeah. So how does NAMI, or what are you guys doing to 
to, to defend against that? Okay, we've, a couple things. One is this new position, this pilot program that we're kind of starting here. We have a program already called <clears throat> CME, which is sharing experience and empathy through mental health education. Okay. And what we do is we go out and we talk to parole officers, um, construction workers about what mental illness really is and someone tells their own personal story to kind of put a face to a name. Yeah. Like, oh. Yes. Yeah, I, I know that person. Absolutely. Right? That, that kind of thing. And so we're changing that a little bit where uh, right now it's me and hopefully we'll have some yeah. volunteers that help out go into businesses. We're starting on Main Street because yeah. we've got to start somewhere. Absolutely. And teaching them how to deal with, with someone that comes in and they're in psychosis or they're in an anxious state that has them not connecting to reality. And instead of just instantly calling 911, because it's scary. Yes, it is. It is. It's alarming when someone comes in like that. And so teaching them, hey, this is this is what their experience is. Yeah. You know, oftentimes just talking calmly, asking what they need is enough for them to be like, oh, I'm in the wrong place. Yeah. That's it. Well, Gresham, I, I appreciate your time and yeah, I definitely want to have you back on. And uh, anytime, like I said, uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's awesome. Have a good one. Yeah, you too. Bienvenidos. Welcome to El Cafecito del Día, brought to you by the Labor Council for Latin American Advancement. Our conversations are inspired by the moments of togetherness that nuestra comunidad shares over un cafecito. Soy Carmen Rodriguez, and today I will be sharing this cafecito with Chelsea Rendon, actress and member of Sagastra, the organization leading the strike in la industria del entretenimiento. Today, we will have a conversation about the 118 days of the Sagastra strike. Chelsea's role como actriz latina, how this agreement reached out by workers and employees will help to improve labor conditions in the entertainment industry y qué representa esta victoria para los trabajadores. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. How will this agreement change the industry and labor condition? Is this an example del poder que tiene el movimiento de los trabajadores? Well, I think it's a mixed bag because for actors, it's one agreement. When you think about the people behind the scenes that are there for 14 hours, when us actors are maybe there for 10 or 12, you know, they have their contract next year. That's IOTSI. That's like the real hard labor sort of thing. It's the crew, the crafty, the grips, all of that. So that'll happen then. But this is going to set precedent for that because we got the biggest compensation bumps that we've had in decades. So I think that will help the movement and that'll help for IOTSI to get a better deal. In general, for us as actors, I hate to say, or I don't want to call myself like a laborer because I'm like, there's people out in the fields for hours and hours breaking their back and I get to be on set in a comfy chair with them doing my makeup and hair. But you know, what I do put my body through emotionally is a lot and it is taxing. I am very thankful to have the pay increases that we do, the protections in, uh, around self-tapes. Now they can't ask us to do a self-tape over the weekend. They have to give us 48 hours, but it does not include weekends or holidays. But if they send me an audition at five o'clock Friday, it's actually not due until Tuesday when normally they would give it to you Friday and it's due Monday morning at 8 a.m. And then you just ruin your entire weekend. We did get some really good gains that, you know, is going to give us time para estar con la familia y disfrutar ese tiempo. But I really, really do feel that this is a step in the right direction. It was definitely like Strike City Summer this year with all the different people that were going on strike and having contracts up. But at the end of the day, because we are the most public, we hold a lot of power. And the fact that we got this means that it could trickle down to everybody else. How will this winning impact Latino workers, considering 
hearing that Latino actors and Latino with other positions in the industry were and are already underpaid. Well, this is the interesting thing about this contract. This is the bare minimum. This is the base. This is the contract that says we get a 10% bump on scale or technically a 7% bump on scale in the first year. Now, for myself, when I get a job, my team's going to negotiate even more than that. I have 25 years in this business. I have a resume to back that up, which means that I have more of that power to have that wiggle room. Just in general, the fact that we're getting a 7% bump in, in the first year, I think is great for everyone. And the fact that even aside from pay, one of the things that's added in this contract is a consultation for hair and makeup with the makeup team, because there are a lot of Latinas, Afro-Latinas and Black folks that literally do their own hair before they get to set because the person on set doesn't know how to work with their hair. I know for my Afro-Latina friends and my Black friends, that's a huge win for them because now they don't have to go and pay out of pocket to get their hair done. They don't have to wake up two hours earlier to get their hair done before getting to set. And it's also, again, just feeling seen and feeling respected. I think that there are some really good strides for that. And again, hopefully we just see more opportunities. And there is where we have more fight to fight for more money and more compensation than just getting the bare minimum that this contract provides. What is your message for non-unionized workers? ¿Qué les dirías? Well, si quieren hacer un actor, es mejor estar en el union. You just get all the protections. You have way more projects to your availability and your disposal. One of the things that I always tell people that I know that are non-union, get in the union as soon as possible. It opens up so many more doors. Right now, this whole fight of AI, I have some people that I know that aren't represented or non-union, but why are you mad? You can't even audition for the things that it's going to affect. Like, not to be a little shady, but like, that's the reality of it for me. Being Being in the union is a community. The fact that you can have a place to call, that if there's an emergency on set, they will show up. And feeling that protection is very important. For me, I did my first sort of sexual scenes a couple years ago. And my first sexual scene was on an indie project. I felt very different than when I did it for my show, where there was an intimacy coordinator and I had all the protections. Just because it was a higher budget sort of project, I was in the union for both projects. But just the lower budget, the less, I guess, regulations kind of go into play. But having that protection is just a really beautiful thing. And again, you don't know it until you're in it and then knowing that you could call the union like I actually have to call the union and file claims because like I said right now we're working under the agreement that is hopefully going to get ratified and one of those things in South is that they have to give you an option to do it in person or in Zoom and they didn't give me those I've had two auditions and I never got those options I spoke to someone that's a negotiating member and they're like no send a claim get that open so that we have that evidence so the fact that I'm like oh I didn't even think about that no okay I need to do that I need to show what's going on is just a beautiful thing and I'm, I'm very thankful to be a part of SAG. Thank you Chelsea for being with us and taking the time to speak to us today. Thank you for being part of the actors and actrices y trabajadores que lideraron esta acción. Muchísimas gracias. I'm really thankful to be a part of the strike captains to be able to show up for events like the Latina Equal Pay Day. Animiento. Hasta el próximo cafecito del día. What we are witnessing in Florida right now is an intellectual reign of terror. There's a tremendous sense of dread right now, not just amongst faculty. It's tangible amongst students and staff as well. People are intellectually and physically scared. You're being named an enemy of the state. 
That's from a new report called Political Interference and Academic Freedom in Florida's Public Higher Education System, out today. The special AAUP report comes after sustained and growing attacks on academic freedom and higher ed in general in Florida by Governor Ron DeSantis and his allies. In January 2023, the AAUP announced the formation of a special committee to review what the AAUP described as, quote, an apparent pattern of politically, racially, and ideologically motivated attacks on public higher education in Florida. The committee interviewed more than 65 individuals, including faculty, students, alumni, and trustees, as well as university leaders, including former presidents. It's an incredibly compelling report. Definitely give it a read after you've listened to the podcast today. The program is guest hosted by Anita Levy, a senior program officer in AAUP's Department of Academic Freedom, Tenure, and Governance. She staffed the special committee. She's joined by Afshan Jaffer, a professor of sociology at Connecticut College and a co-chair on the committee, as well as Henry Reichman, a professor of history at California State University, East Bay, and another co-chair of the report, as well as Liz Leininger, a neuroscience professor who previously taught at New College of Florida. Liz, uh, a good bit of the report focuses on New College of Florida, which, as you well know, is an alternative liberal arts college within the Florida state system. Events there uh, represent a microcosm of radical changes happening statewide. Uh, just as a bit of background, in January 2023, the governor appointed new trustees to the New College Board. Those highly partisan appointees vowed to, quote, demonstrate that the public universities, which have been corrupted by woke nihilism, can be recaptured, restructured, and reformed. Liz, you were a faculty member at New College before DeSantis started this takeover. Um, what role did New College play in the state system uh, of Florida? So New College was designated as Florida's public honors college. Um, it, but as you also said, New College is not just an honors college. It's a sort of progressive experimental style of college. We have a student body of between 700 and 800 students, so a very small, tight-knit residential community, and really a community and an academic program that prioritizes student agency and student ownership over their own education. So, for example, students can personalize their curriculum with Oxford-style tutorials and uh, directed research. We give students detailed narrative evaluations instead of letter grades, so emphasizing students being able to challenge themselves and really stretch themselves and grow and explore areas without the fear of a GPA hanging over them. So let's look a, a little more closely at the new College Board of Trustees, the newly appointed members. Hank, who who were these people that the governor appointed and what was DeSantis's agenda in making these new appointments? Well, these appointments all came. There were uh, seven appointments uh, in January uh, to the board, which completely transformed the nature of the board. Five of those appointees were out-of-state, well-known conservative activists. Two of them uh, had been involved in President, former President Trump's so-called 1776 Commission, which was a rather crude and uh, ahistorical response to the 1619 Project. Perhaps the most well-known of them was Christopher Rufo, uh, who 
is a very outspoken uh, person on social media. He's often credited by many people of, of turning the rather scholarly notion of critical race theory into some kind of big bugaboo. And uh, upon being appointed, Rufo tweeted the following. He wrote, we are now over the walls and ready to transform higher education from within. Under the leadership of Governor DeSantis, our all-star board will demonstrate that the public universities, which have been corrupted by woke nihilism, can be recaptured, restructured, and reformed. And that clearly was the agenda uh, that New College was to be and is to be a model for what they really want to do for higher education. Looked at, however, more cynically, uh, one can see that, in fact, they're not very consistent in their model. On the one hand, they say they want to have a classical education like the uh, the Christian conservative college Hillsdale does. One of the new trustees is from Hillsdale. But at the same time, they're recruiting athletes and business majors. Uh, and in fact, one of the people we uh, interviewed, a faculty leader, actually told the committee that he thought the real goals of the takeover were just three, to reward the, the new president, Corcoran, who was a uh, political crony of uh, DeSantis's to provide a platform for Rufo and to fuel the culture culture war uh, against the so-called woke. Uh, and they really didn't care much about what kind of education would be there. Uh, it remains to be seen. So, You can read the full report on our website at aup.org. And it's also linked in the show notes. And please do. It's a compelling read. If you enjoy AUP Presents, Rate us and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. Thanks for listening. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. Just a tiny sample of the amazing programs aired over the last week on more than 200 labor radio and podcast shows. They're all part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, shows that focus on working people's issues and concerns. We've got links to all the network shows, laborradionetwork.org. You can also find them. Use the hashtag laborradiopod on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, Facebook, and Instagram. Labor Radio Podcast Weekly was edited this week by Patrick Dixon. I produced the show and our social media guru, you guessed it, Mr. Harold Phillips. For the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, this is Chris Garlock urging you to stay active and, of course, stay tuned to your local Labor Radio Podcast show. We'll see you next week. <laughs>